welcome to Cabaret Secrets. My name's Gary Williams, and today's guest is a jazz and cabaret singer in London. She's performed at all the classic venues like the Vortex, the Pheasantry, and the Crazy Cox. This year, she made her debuts at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and the Metropolitan Room in New York, Nikki Gaynor. Welcome to Cabaret Secrets. Thank you, lovely to see you. It's very exciting, you made two debuts. It was this year, wasn't it, for Edinburgh yeah. and, and, and New York? Deb and the pheasantry. I mean, debuts everywhere this year. I'm a newbie. I mean, it's something that I did in my early 20s and then I, I basically stopped when I had my children mm. and have just dabbled a little bit and then things have come that have happened have meant that it hasn't gone any further and then... In, health things all sorts of things have happened um and then this year it was suddenly it was it was i've been building up to it but it was suddenly time i hit 50 this year and it was just like okay if i don't do it now <laughs> i'm going to be 80 and still saying when i do my gabaret show so it just comes to the point where you feel confident and ready to do it and then there's something that little extra kick that comes in and it's like okay do it now and then all these events unrolled and i just went with it and, and I mean, had you had it been a long time in the planning, and because a lot happened this year, w w presumably you'd spent a year or so really working up to Absolutely. everything happening. It didn't just suddenly happen no. like magic. No, I've been working on. Uh, I've been singing, uh, working with Michael Ralston, uh, the wonderful, wonderful Michael Ralston, best pianist in London, um, for some time, and. Um, Putting a show together. This was like kind of like practicing with him, you know, just paying yes, him to way, sort of just practice and just play way, around just, with things. And, with and did things. the show slowly start to sort of, I mean, or did you start thinking, I want to make a show, uh, here's a set list, let's practice for a very specific purpose? I think when I first started working with Michael, it was just to, to get to know a pianist and work out lots of songs that I'd had in my repertoire for a long time and really just wanted to be able to really sing, which you can't do unless you've really got a pianist to work with. Yes. And then I started working on the concept of the show. So the show that I came up with was Empty Nest, because that's the stage of life I'm at. My children are now leaving. My youngest is 21 at university. And so the timing was right for me. And I very much wanted to do a show that had a story to it, that was personal, that showed me as a person, my vulnerabilities, my all sorts of things. And so I came up with the concept of this show and I spent over a year, in a way, collecting songs, um, getting lots of material together. So by the time it actually came to really finessing the show and working with the director and all of that sort of thing I, I think I arrived with about a hundred songs and then we had to slowly just whittle whittle them out which was first very easy to do and then became harder as there were lots of songs that you could use. Sarah Louise Young was your yes, director um, what was the I'm interested so when you came to Sarah with the idea yeah. and with your hundred or so uh, songs how did with her help, how did you tackle that? What was the, the process to get from that to something that was more resembling a proper show? Um, we had an initial meeting and I sort of pitched my ideas at her, what I, I wanted to do. And once we'd agreed that we were going to, this was going to be a good match mm -hmm. and that we wanted to work together, we spent, oh, we spent uh, a day together just talking really looking at the songs um throwing out half of them immediately um and then just talking about stories she she's very good at drawing out of me um for example in 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 the show i talk about one of my sons having a temper tantrum 
a really bad one, I should say. Um, and I, we were just chatting. Um, and at the end of it, she said, we have to use that. That's, 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 that works. It, yeah. it should go in there. So it was just, it was a process of just really just two friends sitting down having a good old chat and a chin wag. But out of that came little stories that we could say, oh, okay, that works. Let's put that in. And, and then trying to work out the songs so that they go in an order. You can't have all your fast songs in one bit and all your slow ones. You've got to get the right order and tempo of a, sh- of a show. So that Did you kind of make lists with the songs once you had this, you know, the, the full list of 100? Did you just kind of divide them up into different styles or types? We or? put all the, the, the final sort of selection that I should think we got down to about 25 songs. Um, were all put on cards and we lay them out on the floor. This is Steve Ross's style. I, I, I did an interview with Steve okay. Ross and he does exactly the same. Right. He gets his cards, he lays them yeah. on the floor and then moves them around. That's exactly what we did. And, you know, some, we had one song that was sort of in the middle of the show and then we decided, no, it's, it's a fast song, it gets people going, it needs to be right, at the, you know, right near the beginning. So we just slightly changed it's a song called I Can't Stop Talking About Him and it's um, and I can't remember who wrote it right at this second but it's a very very fast 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 song and it's about a man that you're in love with we changed the lyrics one word um, man to boy so that therefore it could be relevant to me being mad about my little baby children Um, and and it got the pace of the show going but right at the beginning so just by changing one word we could put it somewhere else was it easy for you to be uh, as honest and as sort of vulnerable as you know that you needed to be in front of an audience? Yes, funny enough, I didn't find that too too difficult. I think um, obviously the big difference between cabaret and and being on the uh, in a theatre piece is that you are playing yourself. A lot of people find that very very difficult. But um, I personally, in this show, I wanted. To tell my story, show who I am, and I didn't. It never really worried me that I was showing my vulnerabilities, which and, I, which I do. Yeah, and and did you? Uh, I mean, the, the chat, the stuff that you say. How did you do it? Was it was it very tightly scripted, and you just learned it and learned it and learned it, or was it kind of bullet points and more free? A bit of both, in all honesty. Um, it it was pretty much scripted, but they were stories. Um, that on the whole, I knew. For example, going back to the story of my darling son having his temper tantrum, I've lived that story. So I don't need to learn it by heart. Yes. Every, t- every time I tell it, it's slightly different. Yes. But I'm just reliving it in my mind. So I don't lose the script of it mm. because I'm telling a story that's actually happened to mm. me. Mm. The ones that are harder are where, of course, you've you know, you've made them up a bit or you've, uh, you know, you, you've, you've fudged it a bit, then it becomes a bit harder and you have to... It's always harder to, to remember to lies, it. isn't it? Yes. <laughs> it's easier yes. just to tell the truth. Exactly. What I'm really interested in, I know what a lot of people listening to this are interested in, is, is how you got from that stage to working at the Edinburgh Fringe because lots of people, including me, go to the Fringe every year but just for fun yeah. and we know all about it. And it looks like such hard work. I mean, for years I'd go to Edinburgh Fringe, i think, oh, I'd love to do a show here. And then I'd look around and I'd chat to my friends who would don't think do you know what I think I'd rather just come and enjoy it because it looks like such hard work and nobody makes any money or nobody seems to make any money and so you know my question to you is first of all what's the point of doing Edinburgh I think for me it was um it was time to make my big break to do it this show is ready it needed to be put on and by going to Edinburgh actually instead of 
doing one show here, one show there. I was doing, I only did two weeks, I did half the run, but I did 12 shows night after night after night, which meant that I was learning my craft. I reckon I put five years experience into two weeks. I was thrown in completely at the deep end. Um, and it was the best thing that could ever have happened to me. Did the Every- show change much from the beginning to the end? Well, I knew it at dance like better by the end. I mean, I completely yes. breathed it by the end. Yes. Um, because if you're doing a show once a week, it takes you a much, much longer time to learn it. But if you're doing it night after night, you really do, you do learn you're it. You're living it, aren't you? You're living it. But you're also really getting the experience. For me, it was the real experience of what our audience is like. You know, I didn't really know before in mm. a way. And, and one day can be so different to the next day mm. just by who's sitting in your audience. And was it a challenge for you to maintain the persona that you wanted from the, the energy that you wanted to from the stage when perhaps you've got a real quiet house or people that might not be as interested as they were the previous night? Um, you know, on the whole, most of the people who came to my show were people who'd seen it in the programme. They, 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 they realised it was empty nest. Is it, is it relevant to me? I didn't have 25, 30-year-olds coming yes, in. Yes. I had older people coming in who'd, who'd picked it out because they thought it was something relevant to them. Mm. So, you know, I would look out and because it's Edinburgh, you don't have great lighting and things, you can actually see your audience. I could see, you know, a woman wiping her tear when I was singing some lullaby or, mm. or mm. a song that was a poignant song or somebody laughing if something related to them, what they'd lived with their children. Mm. Mm. Did you lose much money? I didn't make much money, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, you know, by but the it time, wasn't a disaster? It, it wasn't a disaster because I've got to look at the long term and, and it's what the exposure that I got and what's come from it will pay, will, will pay back in the end. So that's the gamble you have to take. I, I did the free fringe, so I didn't have to pay for my venue. Um, I paid my £300 for the, to get in the, the, the uh, festival programme, which I think is really important. I think anyone who doesn't do that really is not getting any exposure. You've then got to play for your flyering and you've got to pay for your costume, for your props. Um, you've got to pay to get to Edinburgh. You've got to pay for your accommodation and your food and everything. It is expensive. Um, I had a pianist. I had a director. I had to pay them. Uh, rehearsals beforehand so yes it was expensive but as I say I got years of experience out of it which I think was worth it just for that but I've also got other work out of it. I think that I'm always doing work which is I'm not doing for the money I'm doing for other reasons I'm, I'm doing it to it because it's an opportunity for to learn some new material or uh, just to, to meet and work with other people or to be introduced to uh, somebody that may be able to book me in a different venue or I mean in fact often albums you ask most people about albums and I'm just organizing now recording another album it's going to cost a typical amount for an album of maybe around between 15 and 20,000 pounds am I going to get that back from sales probably not it would take me years and years but I'm not doing it for the money I'm doing it so that it's a good product and I can get exposed and I think we we always have to do this though if if we can afford it if we're lucky enough to be in a situation we can afford that investment because it it's it it, we do need to uh keep um, um um maintaining a uh, a level of interest from the press and from audience members. Absolutely. I mean, I'm in a very, very fortunate position in that I've been able to bankroll this Mm. little um, adventure. Um, And I I feel very, 
you know, it's very hard for a lot of people I know to, to do that. I know many friends who would like to do Edinburgh and it's, it's not feasible, but um, I've been able to do it and I'm very thankful for that. But as I say, a lot of stuff is coming from it and I think if I hadn't had that exposure, these, these other things would not be happening and I'd still be, you know, at a different level. One of those things is New York, the Metropolitan Room. Yes. How did that happen? Um, that was that was again just uh, accident. It's people you know, what have you. A uh, great friend of mine, Harold Sanderton, who I know you've we know also from the done Crazy Cox, the, the, the Crazy open Cox, mic nights, and you've also done a podcast yes. with him. Um, Harold and Michael Ralston were um, book, booked in to play the Metropolitan Room um, in October, and while I was in Edinburgh and I was reporting back to Harold how it was all going, he suddenly had this brainwave of. You know, Michael and I are out there doing a show and I happen to know that the slot after us is, is not filled. Why don't you do it? So um, I, I didn't hesitate. <laughs> and um, yeah, I phoned Michael and said, do you want to do two shows in New York? And, and that's how it happened, really. And um, again, very lucky. I, I don't have very many friends in New York, but I have a few. And um, I contacted them all and said, right, rally around all your troops. And, and I had a, you know pretty good i had 65 in my audience which i was pretty pleased that's an about, audience actually. isn't it that's, that that's an enough audience. and and was it very different performing in new york to performing in london yes um i think firstly just because it was very surreal i was sort of you know i suddenly thought oh my god i'm in new york i'm doing my show in new york um but american audiences uh with the greatest respect to any of your american um listeners um you know they are different they laugh at different things they don't maybe uh, get the self-deprecation that we Brits are very good at doing. Um, so it was interesting because I could—I had a few English friends in the audience, and they would laugh at different things to the Americans. But actually, it went down very well. Uh, anywhere in the world, um, people have children who are leaving home, so they can relate to the subject matter. Yes. So um, it was a—I was very pleased with how it went. It was a—it was a fantastic experience. Would you go back to Edinburgh again? I would love to go back to Edinburgh again. Um, I'd actually like to take this show back to Edinburgh again, and I'm thinking about that now. Um, I think I learned a lot from the last one. Um, I would take it back tighter, and most... I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it now. I've got to work out all the expenses of it, mm. obviously. Because it's now you've launched yourself to sort of go back and do it again. There's, it's got to be more compelling reasons yes. to do it, isn't it? Because you've sort of gone there, lost yes. a bit of money, you've spent some money. Okay, you've got the benefits from it. But to go back a second time, you're probably going to get fewer benefits but spend the same amount of money so you've got to justify it haven't you? I have got to justify it and I'm doing that at the moment <laughs> and so. this is the time to to, to do that we we're recording this in uh we are in December now we, aren't are we? we're just in December 3rd. December the 3rd um and it, I mean what, what what when do you need to sort of be talking to the people in Edinburgh to talk about venues very very quickly so very early next year yeah, in, the, in the new year you need to be talking to venues and if people uh, want to go to Edinburgh I mean wh where do they start as far as venue is there a website that they can what, what do they google to find out where Edinburgh, to contact Edinburgh Fringe have their own website and they have a participants area which you can click into and find everything one of the best things to do is they do um, road tours um, and several people from the Fringe Society come down to London they do it in Edinburgh and London I think maybe in Brighton as well 
um, and they come and do roadshows and you can they tell you everything that's going on and you can ask questions and meet people and that's quite but it is a matter of if, if if i've got a show and i want to go there am i going to have to you know spend hours on the phone trying to track down whoever i've got a who runs a venue and i've got to beg them to you know let me have a show and find it i mean is it going to be just really hard to to find a venue and find anybody that's interested or is it sort of a more straightforward procedure particularly with the free fringes that you know can i send a couple of emails and you know submit what i've got to submit and then get an approval or not how, how difficult is it do you really have to know people um good question um i had an introduction to the um the new uh, free festival which is called freestival and i had an introduction i contacted them i sent them an email i sent them a show reel told them what my show was about and everything and they came straight back and said yes go ahead lovely to do it um i think for um other venues it's harder there are four main um is it four main um, sort of organizations uh, organizations that are that like the pleasance is one pleasance yeah. uh, gilded balloon mm. um i'm having and underbelly, the others, the other underbelly yeah. whatever others <laughs> um i think for them it's harder because i think more people want to go with them mm. so if you want to go with underbelly you've got to you know you've got to go through a process you have probably got to have a tr proven track record if they're going to give a valuable yeah. slot they, they want to give it to somebody that's going to have, going to have an audience record. you've you've got to have reviews you've got to have show reels you've got to have they, they in a way they're going to interview you they're not going to your just... show reel did you feel that even at your stage when you were your first outing i mean how did you get a show reel because you hadn't done it much before had you no but i i I, any anything that I'd done, even if I was, you know, at the Crazy Cox doing Harold's wonderful open mic mm, evening, you mm. can still record it on your iPhone, mm. and you can put something together. That's, I mean, it's I made great my advice, isn't it? my, myself just on my on my Mac. Just get know. a friend to hold the iPhone, and Absolutely. it's true that we don't have to spend a fortune. And and and, and, and my showreel cost me nothing. And you see, you know, people, you're a bit of your showreel performing at the Crazy Cox. Nobody knows that it's an open mic, and you haven't, you know, that that the, all the most people haven't come there to see you it's no. just you doing what you do no. and you see the audience reaction and that's what you do so you just used iPhones and picked up whatever footage you could and absolutely. spliced it together on iMovie and yeah. there's and that was enough that wasn't that was absolutely enough I mean yes it's not as um, professional as some of those showreels out there but it, it it's, it's done it's done the trick what would you do differently I don't think I really would have changed anything what about the actually. flyering did you do that yourself or did you hire people a bit of both um, I did do it myself it was terrifying to start with, but you soon get into the swing of it because everybody's sort of doing it. I wrote my husband in when he was he came up for a week and he was brilliant. I think he was the oldest flyer out there. It's mainly students and there was this older man going around helping out flyers. But actually, if you engage with people and they then see your picture on the flyer, they, they are interested. They want to chat to you and they talk to you. And I got quite a few people... Actually, I then recognised who came to the show. Did you find it was better, more effective to to try and engage them, have a little chat with them, rather than just shove a flyer in their hand? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sort of quality, not quantity. Absolutely. Um, and that's something that people, when you're paying them, they can't do that the same, can they? No, I mean, I, I did have um, also some sort of young students who were um, did, did some flyering for me. And I, I made sure that I went and met all of them, and I said, don't bother handing the flyer to a 30-year-old. They're not going to get this show. Find mm -hmm. slightly older people and, you know, and, and they, did, they did very well for me. I, 
I was in a venue, uh, it was called Fingers Piano Bar, which is slightly on, it's in the new town and it's on the outskirts of really where the fringe is, is going on. But I had audiences, I mean, it, you know, where we were pretty full every Hard day. Hard to tell where they come from, isn't it? So you just, your educated guess was that the flyering was worth it. the flyering made a big difference. Even there. when you were paying other people to do it? Even when I was paying other people to do it. One day, um, one of the girls who was meant to be flying for, for me was sick or something and didn't turn up and do it. And there was a distinct lowering of people in that day mm. so yes I do think the flyering was the most important thing and not necessarily doing it on the Royal Mile I, you know I stuck to my area so go out you know an hour before your show around the area where you, your venue is mm. so that you're getting somebody coming out of a restaurant or a coffee shop or something. Mm. Any more ideas for the new year to capitalise on what a successful year you've had already? Uh, well, I think the most exciting thing that really has come out of Edinburgh for me was, um, and again, this is something that you don't know that's going to happen, but a Norwegian producer came in and watched my show. He came, came over from Norway to see lots of shows, went and saw them all. And uh, we then, he, you know, contacted me at the end of the show and we met in London and I'm off to Norway in March to do play in nine different cities. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, Congratulations. It's really exciting. And that's the value of performing in Edinburgh. That's completely the value of performing in Edinburgh. I mean, how would I have ever got a tour in Norway? Thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been great and good luck with everything that's going to happen to you in 2015. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Cabaret Secrets podcast. If you've got any comments or questions, please visit cabaretsecrets.com where you'll also find details of the Cabaret Secrets book, an indispensable guide on how to create your own show, travel the world, and get paid to do what you love. <laughs>